Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. Uh, John's Gospel, the very first chapter. So we begin to uh, just continue our look at discipleship and what it means to be uh, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every Christian should endeavor to be a disciple. Um, and so that's what God would have us to be. It's how God works in our lives and how God wants to use us. And so uh, I invite you this morning to pick up the challenge of becoming uh, not just a believer in Jesus, but a disciple of Jesus. And so uh, it will transform your life and he will transform your life in it. Uh, and so we uh, continue with that thought this morning. And so we're going to begin reading here in John chapter number one. And beginning in verse number 35, uh, and read down through the end of the chapter. What's taking place here is John the Baptist is ministering out of the Jordan. Uh, and he's been there now for some time. Uh, the account here in John's gospel covers a period of two to three days. Uh, at least in this part where it's just covering the arrival of Jesus' baptism and his interaction uh, with these that would eventually become uh, and here are picking up the challenge to become his disciple. Uh, and so John has been working, preaching, baptizing. The Pharisees, of course, show up and try to figure out what's going on and then to discredit it if it conflicts with their power uh, and their authority in the people's lives. Uh, and so <clears throat> as he as we see that John uh, is in verse 29 uh, saying to them, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, and then Jesus is baptized. And so uh, when we come here in verse 35, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus uh, as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following. And he saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and they saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under a fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under a fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto, saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And I want to speak this morning on the thought becoming a disciple. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, for its power. Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives, I pray that you would convict us of our sin, that you would convince us of the truths of your word, that you would help us, Lord, to uh, understand the importance and the power of giving our lives to you as disciples. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to uh, embrace and to pick up our cross and to follow you. And Lord, I pray that we'd be challenged today. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We started last week introducing this idea of, or reintroducing this idea of uh, discipleship, true discipleship, and what it is, what it looks like, what it means to be uh, a true disciple of Christ. And so remember that by definition, a disciple quite simply is someone that is just a student of. Uh, but when you look at the deeper meaning of the word, and you look at the root word that it comes from, what you find is that it is a student who not only follows after, but he learns from and is willing to be appraised by their teacher. In other words, a true disciple is someone that says to their teacher, I'm willing to learn from you, I'm willing to learn about you, and I'm willing for you to look into my life and to fix whatever it is that's broken. You place a value on me. Appraisal is in the term, in the sense of, appraising a property or a building, a structure. Uh, we are, uh, we should be self-appraising, but my self-appraisal really doesn't mean a lot. What means a lot is the appraisal of Jesus. He's the one that I have to answer to. He's the one who is my uh, leader and the one from whom I seek to learn uh, and to live for. And it's to open my heart and to allow my teacher my master to appraise me. It also means that I'm learning about, putting into practice, and becoming so accustomed to a new way of life that it becomes natural as natural to me as the air that I breathe. And so a true disciple of Christ does not conduct himself or herself, himself or herself as uh, in a kind spirit or a Christ-like spirit because they're constantly reminding themselves, oh, I'm a Christian now, I can't do that, or I have to do this, or I can't speak that way, I have to speak this way, or, or I shouldn't think that, or uh, I, I shouldn't react that way. A true disciple emulates Christ naturally. And discipleship is a journey. Discipleship is not something that you just decide one day, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden, uh, I am a great disciple. It is the process. It is the progressive sanctification of uh, the life of a Christian as he becomes more like Christ. Uh, but it should become natural to us. We looked last week as I introduced this uh, that there must be a commitment to discipleship. Jesus said uh, that if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so what we see or what we saw last week was is that there, in order to be a disciple of Christ, there must be some self-denial taking place. In other words, I have to take my will, my goals, my life plans, and I have to set them aside and I have to embrace the will of God for my life. That is my cross. 
When he says take up your cross, what he's talking about is embrace the will of God for your life. What was the cross of Jesus? Of course we know that it was the Roman cross upon which he was crucified. But the overlying factor is, is that that was the will of God for his life to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He doesn't need you and I to be a sacrifice of sins for the sins of the world. Number one, we're not qualified to be the sacrifice. Number two, Jesus has already made the sacrifice. So my cross is not the cross of Christ. My cross is the will of God for me. And so a disciple is someone who seeks to determine the will of God for their life and who takes up the will of God for their life. And so whatever God has called you to do, whether he's called, if he's called you to be a missionary, if he's called you to be a pastor, if he's called you to serve as a deacon, if he's called you to be a teacher, if he's called you to be a lawyer or a doctor uh, or a truck driver or a grocery store clerk or, uh, or whatever it is that God has determined that he wants your life to be, you'll never be satisfied, fulfilled, or happy until you're doing it. Amen. You must embrace the will of God. And there is a commitment that has to be made to be a disciple of Christ. There's also a cost that has to be paid. The cost of discipleship, taking up that cross, bearing that cross. It's not easy. That's why he uses the analogy here of a cross. It was heavy to bear. It was hard. It was damaging. It was something that was difficult for others to understand. It was something that was pleasing to God. Because it united, reunited God with his man, with mankind. And what we see in discipleship is that there's a cost. And we see, and we saw thirdly last week that there are challenges to discipleship. You look at the disciples of Jesus and the disciples of Jesus in the New Testament, there are thousands, not just 12. But the 12 clearly are on another level of discipleship. There are a lot of times where the followers in the crowd are referred to as disciples and they come and they go. They're like the tide. Sometimes they ebb in and sometimes they ebb out. But they're always coming and going. They're never really fully committed. They're just that disciple that's willing to learn. They're that Christian that just comes to church once in a while or maybe on Sunday morning and they're willing to sit and to listen and to acquire some information, but they're not really open to any significant change of life or, uh, or value or ways of thinking. And they're not open to have their heart impacted by the truths of the scripture. They want to feel like a good person. They want to do good things. They want to be a good person, uh, but they're not really truly open to uh, the depth of a Christian life that Jesus would expose them to. Uh, their challenges to discipleship. Even the 12, they're with him every day for three and a half years and they still in the end struggle. They were challenged. Whether or not they would be true, whether they would follow him, whether they would sacrifice for him. And many of them uh, gave their lives for the gospel. Uh, but that was in question at points in their life. Their level of commitment. There were obstacles or challenges to discipleship. We learned that a disciple must deny self-will, take up God's will or his cross and follow Jesus. That is the essence of what a true disciple of Jesus is. We've been called, all of us, to be his disciples and to go out and to teach others making disciples also. That is the essence of the Great Commission, to take up our cross and to follow him. 
Matthew Henry, the great commentator of the 1600s, wrote this. Those who teach by their doctrine must teach by their life, or else they tear down with one hand what they build up with the other. The Christian who does not live consistently, faithfully the Christian life, preaches one message and lives another, is tearing down the gospel that they preach with their life. That's not discipleship. True discipleship is beyond that. It is a requirement that one must be an authentic Christian in order to train or to disciple an authentic Christian. You cannot teach or train someone to be something that you're not. You must be. Howard Hendricks wrote this way, you cannot impart what you do not possess. I want to possess the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God possesses me. A disciple is someone that walks with Christ. John Stott put it this way, nothing is more important for a mature Christian, disciple, for mature Christian discipleship than a fresh, clear, true vision of the authentic Jesus. You know what inspires people to want to be authentic? Your authenticity. My authenticity. If we are not authentic Christians, no one will be inspired to become an authentic Christian. Three thoughts about this that we see in our text this morning about becoming an authentic disciple. And that's really the challenge of the Christian life. Am I going to be an authentic disciple of Christ or am I going to be an imposter or am I going to be just a shallow, casual, uh, come to get what I can get? Listen, uh, those that would, that, that would uh, say, you know, I can, I can worship God in my deer stand or I can worship God in my fishing boat or I can, uh, I can you know, perpetually uh, just participate from a distance. We are not, that, that's a very selfish outlook of what the Christian life and experience is supposed to be. Because the people with that mindset, all they're saying is, this is what I can get. But part of being a part of a church family and being a disciple of Christ is more about what we give. Amen. I can't give to you if I'm not here. You can't give to anybody else if you're not here. And so we need to be authentic in our Christian life. Number one this morning, we see that discipleship is an inspired choice. It is an inspired choice. Notice verses 35 through 39 again. And again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked. The words looking upon here mean to fix one's gaze upon or to give a penetrating look. It is, they're staring at Jesus. They are fully focused on Jesus at this moment. It's as if they're trying to stare into the depths of his soul and his nature to discern who and what he is. They are looking uh, and they are inspecting. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. What they, Jesus did was inspired them. They were inspired by his presence. They were inspired by the air of power about him. They were inspired uh, 
by his baptism and uh, by God speaking out and testifying by the testimony of John the Baptist who they had previously been a disciple of. And what I'm saying this morning is that discipleship is an inspired choice. In other words, I must allow myself to be drawn to the Lord. We put up defense mechanisms. We're not allow, we won't allow God to draw us. We won't allow God to compel us. We, put, we keep God off at an arm's distance. What I'm saying here is that we need to allow ourselves to be drawn to God. That is the body embodiment of the work of the Spirit of God in the Christian's life. That he drew us to God for salvation and he is drawing us to Jesus as our Christian life develops so that we might become more like him. So what are we talking about here? First, I would say that in order to allow myself to be drawn, I must embrace the pull of the Spirit. I don't want to hold him off. I want to embrace it. If you feel convicted whenever you come and you hear the word of God preached, it's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. That's God speaking to you. And there's a process that Christians go through in their life, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in John chapter 6 and verse 44, uh, Jesus clearly states uh, that no man can come unto me except the Father draw him which sent me, uh, unless, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, in order for me to be put my faith and trust in Christ, the Spirit of God had to draw me and to convict me about my sin so that I became aware of my need. And as a child of God, if I would grow in the Christian faith, I must accept that the Holy Spirit is working in my life, drawing me or compelling me into the presence of Christ, to the image of Christ, to be transformed uh, into the mind and the embodiment of Christ. I must embrace the pull of the Spirit, not reject it. And what you see, what I've seen over nearly, well over 20 years of full-time ministry is that what happens in people's lives is they, they come and they receive Christ because they're excited about that pull and that speaking of God in their heart and their life. And then they begin to grow and they begin to serve and then they get complacent and then they make some bad decisions, generally without biblical counsel. And then they spiritualize it. Pastor, I'm doing this. I've prayed about it. In other words, I don't want your input and your advice. I've already made the decision uh, and so and it's not that you need my permission uh, but it was wise to get counsel and then whenever they come around and they're doing something and the spirit of God begins to work in their heart uh, and convict them now instead of being praising God I feel convicted God's working in my life as you're judging me it's cyclic it happens everywhere and, and the only difference is the attitude of the individual the, the, nothing, the, the word of God hasn't changed. The message and the style of the message being preached from the pulpit hasn't changed. Uh, nothing in their life has changed. What once drew them, now they feel judged by. What once was Holy Spirit conviction is now the church's condemnation. It's a dangerous place to be. It leads to a bad place. It is the difference between embracing the pull of the Spirit of God in my life and rejecting it to get what I want, to obtain the Christian life that I want to find and follow instead of the one that God is leading me to. Listen, embrace the pull of the Spirit of God. Don't reject it. Don't take it for granted. Don't dismiss it. 
It's a rare and precious gift from God for God to speak to your heart when you read and study His Word or when the Word is preached or when the songs are sung. If you feel something working in your life that makes you feel guilty. if Because I promise you, I never come to the pulpit with the intent of guilting you into making a decision for Christ. That's not why I'm here. Those decisions are not real. They don't last. It's unfair to you. It's a misrepresentation of God. However, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts me, I will feel guilty about my sin. And I can't dismiss the fact that the Holy Spirit's job title is to convict me and to convince me. He convicts us of sin. He convinces us of the truth of God's word. And we are to embrace that pull of the spirit. Not only that, we need to eliminate the obstacles to our service. And I'm not so much talking about physical obstacles. They're always there. I'm talking about the spiritual and the mental obstacles. The emotional obstacles. Things that happen in our life that are hurtful become an obstacle to our service and our devotion to God. When you're mistreated, it becomes an obstacle. When you're disappointed, it becomes an obstacle. Whenever I, uh, whenever I uh, stumble and fail in my own life, my own failures become an obstacle and a hindrance to my Christian growth because it's easier to just give up. We have to embrace the pool and eliminate the obstacles to service. What are the disciples doing here? What is Andrew doing here? He's saying, hey, Lord, uh, I, I'm inspired by you. I saw your arrival. I heard John the Baptist thunder and wax eloquently about you being the Messiah. I witnessed your baptism. I saw the dove descending. I heard the voice from heaven. I've experienced you. And John is again pointing me. I was here. I left my, and listen, the compel of the Spirit of God in the lives of Andrew and this other disciple is not something that just randomly took place in this moment. They were fishermen. They had a job. They had left their job. They were out in the wilderness at the Jordan. They are described here as disciples of John the Baptist. They are already compelled. They are already being drawn. God is already working in their heart for a considerable period of time. And they come face to face with Jesus. And rather than running, they embrace him. And John points him to them. John's not here to build his own kingdom. John's here to build the kingdom of Christ. John points them to him. What is he doing? He is helping them to embrace the pull of that inspired spirit and he is helping them to clear the obstacles out of their way. You've got a family back home. You've got a career back home. Uh, you've got a, a, a disciple that you, you've got John the Baptist that you've just signed up with. You've got all of these obstacles and they're looking at Jesus and they say, where do, where do, what are you about? Where do you dwell? What's your life like? What is it? This is, we see what's out here. What, we, what they're really looking for is what's in here. They gazed upon. They looked upon. They penetratingly looked at him. What they really want to know is Jesus, we saw, we heard what John said. We know what we saw, but who are you really? And as they ask the question, Jesus doesn't say it's none of your business. Jesus says, come and see. Come and experience me. Come and love me. Come and be loved by me. Come and find out 
for yourself. Get rid of the obstacles to following me and to serving me and brush them aside and just deny yourself. We see, second of all, not only were the disciples making an inspired choice by allowing themselves to be drawn by the Spirit of God, but we see, secondly, the discipleship is an inner choice. No one could make it for them, and no one had to see it publicly. They had to make it internally themselves. It was a choice of their spirit, of their inner man. In other words, they were deciding to align themselves in the Christian discipline. They're now, by becoming the disciple of Christ, aligning themselves with the value of Christ. They, Jesus, this is what you're about. I've got to line myself up with this. I'm not talking about, uh, about conformity for the sake of conformity. I'm talking about when Jesus begins to get so real to me that I naturally begin to allow him to transform my life. You cannot be a disciple of Christ and live the way you lived before you knew him. You can't, you, you can, listen, anybody can say, I'm going to be different. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to do this for a while. That doesn't make them a genuine disciple. They can ebb in like the tide and they'll ebb out when hard times come. Those that are looking to get, they'll come and they'll go. Pastor, isn't it discouraging sometimes to see people coming and going? Yes, it is. But that's just the essence of, of the Christian life. Not everyone is willing to take up that cross. Not everyone is willing to pay that price. And you're not going to come to a, 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 an authentic New Testament church for long and not be challenged about those things from the Word of God. Why? Because that's who Jesus commands us to be. Amen. If you don't feel challenged on that front, I'm not doing a very good job of doing my job. We need to be challenged by the Word of God. And that starts with committing our allegiance to Jesus. What they're doing here and what they're saying here is, hey, uh, we, are, we found Messiah. We found the one that Moses prophesied about. We found the one that the laws described. We found the king of Israel. They, they were committing their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. John, it's been nice to serve you. It's been nice to learn from you. But there is a greater one than you that's here. And John said, amen, I'm not even worthy for him to untie my shoe. You go right ahead. That's why I'm here. And so they embrace him. And they commit their allegiance to Jesus. Listen, you cannot be a disciple of Christ if you are not willing to commit your life to Christ. Genuine, authentic Christianity. So pastor, that's a lot. You're right, it is a lot. He gave a lot. And he expects a lot. He demands a lot. Because he wants to use your life. Commitment and committing my allegiance to Jesus. Secondly, I would say here uh, about discipleship being an inner choice. I have to commit my life is that it corresponds uh, at my, my alignment to Jesus. I have to correspond the alignment of my life, the values of my life, the tenets, the principles by which I live my life. They must be in alignment with the values and the character and the nature and the principles of the essence of who Jesus is. If I'm not, then I'm just a disciple of something else. I don't want to be a disciple of the God of this world. I want to be a disciple of the God of heaven. And so when I look and see that I have to correspond my alignment to the alignment of Jesus, John Ortberg wrote, put it this way, the decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. This means 
that to be a follower of Jesus, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. Listen, we live in a time uh, where comfort is the ultimate achievement in life. The American dream, if you will, is to achieve a status, an ability of comfort. A certain level of comfort. We want to be comfortable. Listen, I like to be comfortable. I like, I like, I like my air conditioning set way down low. I like my heat set way down low. I, I, I like, uh, I like a, a fire in the fireplace on a cold day. Uh, I like it whenever I can wear long sleeves and sweaters, sweatshirts and things like that. I like it whenever, uh, whenever uh, it's a hot day and I've got a nice glass of sweet tea. Uh, I like it whenever uh, I sit in a chair and it's, it doesn't hurt my back after five minutes. I, I like to be comfortable. I like clothes that are comfortable. I, I like cars that are comfortable. I drive my wife's car pretty much when it needs gas. It's too hard to get in and out of. Uh, and I, you know, I just, I like comfort. I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to have a level of comfort. I'm saying this morning that the, the driving force of our lives should not be about comfort. Amen. It should be about Jesus. Amen. And in order for me to be a true disciple, I must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of my life. It's not that I'm renouncing comfort, but it's no longer my ultimate value. My ultimate value must be him. Discipleship costs. Someone once said that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 16 in verse number 25 which we looked at last week at length, but uh, when he said, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You want to find value? You want to find worth? You want to find a reason to get up in the morning? You want to find a reason to live? You want to find uh, and discover uh, a, a, a purpose in life? His name is Jesus. Amen. And we come to the realization that discipleship is not something that can be imposed upon me. It is not genuine discipleship cannot be coerced upon me. True, biblical, authentic discipleship is an inner choice. But that inner choice will force me to make a decision to align myself and to discipline myself to the character of Christ. Thirdly, we see that discipleship must be an immutable choice. Discipleship must be an immutable choice. We talk about the immutability of God. That simply means unalterable. I cannot be an authentic disciple of Jesus if I'm choosing to be a disciple today and choosing not to be tomorrow and choosing to be a one again next week and choosing not to be one the month after that and choosing to be one the year after that and choosing not to be one the week after that and every other day or every other week or every other month or every other year, I'm coming and going. I'm just like the disciples that are like the tide. I ebb in when it's easy and convenient or when I have a need and I ebb out when it's hard and difficult and challenging. That's not the kind of discipleship we're talking about. We're talking about real, authentic discipleship. An unalterable choice. My mind, my decision is made. It's not, it's unflinching can't be changed. Jesus said that he is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. And my life will not always look the same yesterday, today, and forever. But my decision to be his disciple should be yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Stay with Jesus. Avail yourself in devotion. This is a process, you see. First, I allow myself to be drawn. Second, I align myself and discipline myself to the truths of his word, which leads me to learn more about him, which leads me to experience him on a personal level, which lead me to know what it's like to be blessed by him, to be empowered by him, to see a different version of him than I've ever seen before, which then prompts me to have devotion to him. The genuine, authentic Christian life is a life that is lived out of a heart of love and devotion to a Savior, not obedience to a cruel taskmaster. How do you view Jesus this morning? Do you view him as one who lords over you, or do you view him as a Lord that you love? Do you serve him because you fear his punishment, or do you serve him because you want to express to him how much you love him. Two thoughts about this this morning. I would say, first of all, when I avail, my, avail myself in devotion to Christ, that if I would do that, I must receive him completely. Jesus, I want all of you. Now, we live in a time where we want his love. But we want to separate his holiness. We want to separate his anger about our sin. We want to separate his identifying what our sin is. We want to separate his right to tell us where to go and what to do and what to think and how to speak and who to talk to and who not to talk to, who to fellowship with, who not to fellowship with, who to associate with, who not to associate with. We, we want to pick and choose the things about Jesus that are convenient and that we like and that make us feel good, but we don't want the rest of them. True discipleship embraces Jesus completely. He is holy. He is God. He has every right. He is my authority. He's not just the king of Israel. He's the king of heaven. He's not just the king uh, of others. He is the king and should be the king of my own heart and life. Not a vindictive king, but one that loves, one that leads, one that guides, one that punishes, yes, because he loves when we're wrong and when we sin. But I must receive him completely. If I would experience his devotion, I must give of myself completely. I need all of him, but he requires all of me. It, it, it's not, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about a different level of Christian living. This is not a message for the faint of heart this morning. This is only really for those that are serious about their walk with Christ. Receive him completely. Give of yourself completely. We saw this and we looked at it last week, but we'll look at it briefly again this morning in John chapter 21. Listen, the disciples struggled after the crucifixion. Anyone would have struggled after the crucifixion. They struggled to the point that Jesus had to go back out and to meet them, to fix them breakfast. He had to meet with them and continue to show himself to them. And for 40 days after the resurrection, he ministers to them before he ascends into heaven. But he accomplished more in their lives in those 40 days than he did in the previous three and a half years. 
Those 40 days were transformative to their life. Those 40 days took them from being disciples that walked with him and followed him and relied upon him to disciples that went out and turned the world upside down without his presence physically there. There was no turning back. There was never in these 12 uh, or these 11 when you remove Judas from the equation, uh, there's never, uh, are we going to serve him today, follow him today during that three and a half years? They're always committed, but they're often struggling. After his ascension, after an endowment of power of the Holy Spirit, they have a whole new life. They have a no, whole new power. They received him completely. They gave themselves completely to the point that they gave their their lives for the sake of the gospel. Many of them, if not all, martyrs for the faith, dying cruel and unusual deaths, that the gospel might be solidified uh, in the world and that it might move forward uh, and move forward the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 21 and verses 18 and 19, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, and thou girdest thyself, and thou walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake to Peter, signifying what death he should glorify God, by what death he should glorify God. He just said to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my lambs. Because Peter had just denied him three times, struggling uh, with his fellowship and his devotion. And he felt like a failure. And he felt as if he could never be of any value to Christ again. And Jesus comes and finds him and questions him. And he says, listen, when you were young and when you were new, I had to, I had to coddle you and I had to lead you and I had to pick you up out of that wave that you sank in. And I had to do all of these. I have to come here now and to, to help you catch your fish and to feed you breakfast and to, and to show you myself one more time. But when you're old, the confidence of knowing that Jesus is telling him that he'll be faithful to the end. Someone else is going to dress you. They're going to stretch out your hands. You're going to die, Peter, for the cause of the gospel. For my sake, you're going to give your life, but you're going to do it. You're going to be faithful. You're going to represent me and my will for your life. You are going to bear. You are going to bear your cross and you are going to make a difference in the lives of thousands and millions of people throughout history. Why? Because Peter received Jesus completely, Jesus, and then gave of himself to Jesus completely. It wasn't always easy. Sometimes there were failures. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 24.10 that if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy faith is so thy strength is small. When you fail, get up. When you sin, get forgiven and get going again. There's not anything that you can do that's going to cause God to say, I'm done with you. He's there. He's still seeking. He's still searching. He's still empowering. He's still enabling. Discipleship doesn't mean that you live a flawless life. Discipleship means that you, meet, that you live a meaningful life. Warren Wisby wrote about discipleship that it's a daily discipline. We follow Jesus one step at a time, one day at a time. You don't just wake up one day and be the master of the discipleship universe. It's a process. Day by day. Step by step. 
getting up from failures, overcoming setbacks, removing obstacles, denying self, taking up that cross that you drop, picking it up again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was hanged in a concentration camp during World War II for speaking out against Nazism and the, the taking and burning of Bibles and the assault on Christianity said this before he died. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. You cannot have Christ fully. I'm not saying that you can't be saved. I'm saying you cannot have his full blessing, his full power, his full fellowship in your life unless you're willing to be his true authentic disciple. Victory Baptist Church is about becoming authentic disciples that God might in and through us make authentic disciples. Pastor, that's a lot more than I'm willing to give. I don't know what to tell you other than that you're going to be really uncomfortable because you're going to keep hearing a lot about it. And more than hearing about it, I'm praying that God will raise up some disciples that cause you to have to start looking at it every week. Seeing new people come to Christ, seeing new people growing in their faith, seeing our lives being transformed by legitimate, authentic Bible discipleship. Let's not be Christians in name only. May we be true disciples of Christ. I don't know about you, but if I'm anything, I want to be real. I want to be authentic. Jesus is authentic. Authenticity inspires. Authenticity compels. Authenticity is worthy of devotion. There's no one so authentic as Jesus.